Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we thank you for your grace. The grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. Because it is past grace, it is present grace, and it is future grace. Grace from first to last. Lord, we thank you for your grace shown to us in past, in history. Lord, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. But Lord, you lived an absolutely perfect life, obeying the law, obeying, fulfilling the law, fulfilling God's will on our behalf, and you continue to fulfill, fulfill God's will for us and the word for us as Jesus, you bore our sins as our Lamb of God, taking away the sins of the world. Lord, we thank you for that day when, we, when you came up out of the grave, when you rose again from the grave, offering forgiveness full and free to all who would come to you by faith, simply trusting in Jesus as their great sin bearer and as their righteousness giver. So, Lord, we thank you for that past grace that you have given us in Christ by grace through faith. And, Lord, we also thank you for present grace, that regardless of whatever trial we may be going through, whatever suffering we may be enduring at the moment, that your grace is with us. And, Lord, I pray that for each one in this room and those watching online, regardless of whatever the season of suffering or trial that they may be going through or maybe they are surrounded maybe they have somebody going through a season of trial in in their lives lord i pray that you would either help them to endure or put people put them in the place of others that they can encourage but because we know we look around this room and we see evidences of your present grace in our lives and that you have surrounded us with family family of God that can walk with us through trial. And Lord, we thank you for your indwelling Holy Spirit that encourages us to press on even in the midst of trial. And Lord, we thank you for future grace as well, that your grace isn't just today, but Lord, you are faithful. You've been faithful in the past. You're faithful in the present, and you will be faithful all the way to the end. And you will sustain us by your grace, by your mercy, all the way to that day when we see you face to face. And Lord, we thank you that it will be grace upon grace that we will know forever and ever and ever. And that is our hope in the present. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are struggling, those who are suffering, those who are enduring trial. Lord, that they would know your grace. Grace from beginning to end, first to last. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness towards us in Christ. And Lord, we thank you for your grace that your spirit continues to speak to us. And I pray that you would speak to us as we open your word today. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll go ahead and grab a Bible and open it with me to the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, I think that's incorrect right there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 12. So yeah, don't follow what you see on the screen there. That's my bad. I put that together. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, reading through verse 12. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words. Paul, 
Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions you are enduring. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you also are suffering. Since it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to those who are afflicted along with us. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who do not know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. On that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. In view of this, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfill every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today as we unpack this passage, as we consider once again the issue of suffering for the believer. Lord, I thank you for your word. Speak to us as we unpack this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we come to the last of the four weeks series on suffering. We've been talking about how in, there are times in our lives when we endure suffering and sometimes in our lives when life really doesn't make sense. We don't understand what the Lord is doing sometimes in our lives. And the first week, three weeks ago, we talked about how suffering is indeed caused by suffering in general, is caused by sin in general, but in your life you can't always point to specific sufferings as caused by specific sins. I was thinking about how this is indeed true. Let's think about it in terms of health. There are some people whose health breaks down because of certain behaviors in their life, perhaps because of substance abuse or other things that has caused their health to break down. But then there are other people whose health breaks down and who endure trial, who endure physical suffering, and there's no reason that they can point to. They have no idea why, indeed, they are suffering physically in their lives. And so while sin in general does indeed cause suffering in our lives, we can't point to specific sufferings always and say, this is the reason why I am enduring suffering. Sometimes we endure suffering and the reason for our suffering isn't readily apparent to us. Think about the story of Job and how Job endured suffering even though he was a righteous person, even though he didn't know why he was suffering. 
Suffering is used by God in our lives to draw us closer to Jesus. Suffering is not a waste, but in every trial, in every pain, in every suffering, in every difficulty that we face in our lives, we know that God is at work even in those moments, even in our darkest days, even in the midst of our trials, to teach us to rely more and more and more upon Jesus to wean us off of the things of this world, to make us think that, that, that try to make us think that the things of this world would satisfy us, that the things of this world would deliver us. If I only had fill in the blank and you fill in the blank, if I only had that, then everything would be okay. Jesus is teaching us, oh no, your satisfaction of your soul, the delight that you long for is only found in Him, is only found in Jesus Christ. We learned a couple of weeks ago that God uses suffering to grow our patience, to grow our character, and to grow our perseverance, ultimately leading to hope. Now, what I want to talk to you about today is I want to unpack this idea of hope, hope for the sufferer, hope for those who are enduring trial, hope in light of the end. I don't know what kind of suffering you are enduring in your life, but we know that all believers at some point or another will experience suffering. In fact, you can be very faithful, in fact, very, very faithful and still endure suffering in your life. Look at the Apostle Paul. Indeed, he was an example of suffering for us. And even ultimately, we look at Jesus. He is indeed the ultimate righteous sufferer, wasn't he? And so just because you live a righteous life, just because you seek to live a holy life, that you seek to live for Jesus, doesn't mean you are exempted from suffering in this world. And I know in our church, in this room right now, there are many different types of suffering that you are enduring. Some of you are enduring physical suffering. Some of you are enduring relational suffering. Perhaps you are at odds with one of your children, perhaps you're grieved over the actions of your grandkids. There's others of you who are suffering in relationally in your, in your marriages. There's others of you who are suffering financially or perhaps even because you just recently got the grades from your teacher and it wasn't what you had expected or even thought you had deserved. Lots of different ways we can suffer even as believers. But whatever the cause of suffering as believers, we need to remember that we don't suffer in isolation. That is one of the things that we must remember from this letter. This letter is not written to an individual trying to encourage an individual to endure through suffering, but he writes to the church of the Thessalonians. He writes to the church at Thessalonica, and within that context, in the context of y'all together need to help each other out, y'all together need to stand firm in the face of trial, in that context of a group of Christians who are enduring trial, who are enduring suffering, he encourages them. And encourages us to endure the trials together. And then together, as we march on towards glory, we find our hope. There's three aspects of hope that I want you to see in this passage today. The first is this, is God provides a family called the church to walk with you through suffering. God provides a family called the church to walk with you through suffering. 
Here, Paul's letter is to the Thessalonians, writing to, he's writing to a suffering church. We see there in verse 3 that this church has faced persecution and affliction, and they've stood up under a fiery test. And we know during this season of the growth of the church and the birth of the church, that indeed the fiery test was sometimes literal in that, that Nero sometimes would even burn Christians at the stake. And sometimes it was a figurative, fiery test. Regardless of what the fiery test is in our lives, whether it's little fire or, phys- or, or, or figurative fire, we need to realize that we need each other. You cannot endure suffering alone as a believer. The Christian life is meant to be lived in community with one another. In this first chapter of 2 Thessalonians, Paul begins and ends this chapter with prayer. In the beginning, he thanks God for the church at Thessalonica. Now, what does he thank God for? He doesn't just thank God for the church in general. He's very specific there in verse 3 of what he is thanking God for. Look at verse 3. He says, We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each uh, and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing this is a church that had faced suffering and persecution and the middle of the pain in the middle of the trial in the middle of their suffering the result of their community the result of the fellowship that they had one with another was a faith that grew and a love that grew We as Christians are not to have a stagnant faith, a static faith, a faith that doesn't grow and a love that doesn't grow. No, we are called as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ in community to grow in our faith, to grow in our love one for another. One of the ways that the church body helps you is that your faith is strengthened as you walk through suffering. Listen, if it is your habit in the Christian life to come to a church, to listen to a sermon and sing the songs and then walk right out that door and never get involved in anybody else's lives, you are missing out. In fact, you are missing out on one of the main points of the New Testament is God has not just called us to faith and love. God God has called us to faith and love in the context of community, in the context of the church, whereby we can know one another, we can be praying for one another, we can be helping one another and serving one another and being a blessing to one another. In fact, the whole host of dozens and dozens and dozens of one another commands within the New Testament, there is no way that you can even follow those commands as an isolated Lone Ranger Christian who thinks that I don't need other Christians and I don't even need the church. I got this on my own because I got the Bible and the Spirit. I don't need Christians. I don't need the church. I don't need anybody. All I need is Jesus. And Jesus in the New Testament and throughout the Gospels constantly calls us to community of faith, to the family of God to be a part of this gathered community. Indeed, this outpost of the kingdom of God, helping one another on towards the future, towards what Christ has prepared for us. You need one another. We see this throughout the New Testament. We see this in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Well, how do you know who's rejoicing? And how do you know who is weeping? 
Right now, within this particular context, although this is important, and the Bible certainly talks about preaching, and the importance for us to gather in these settings and have the Word of God unpacked for us and explained to us, you can't do that right now. (laughs) Because you have no idea. You're not talking to each other. You're not relating to one another. The only way this can happen is if you spend time with each other is if you know what is going on in one another's soul, in one another's heart, rejoicing with those who are rejoicing, weeping with those who weep, it assumes relationships. You must grow in your relationships with one another in order to do this. Friend, you need each other. There are times in our lives when we go through suffering and we pray for God to help, we pray for God to rescue, and you know what he sends? He sends a friend. He sends a fellow believer. He sends somebody who can walk with you. Sometimes he sends somebody that's just going to sit there with you and listen to you. And sometimes he sends somebody who has been through something similar as to what you are going through. And in those difficult times when you feel like you can't go on, there's somebody there that helps you to press on, press on, keep going, don't quit, keep after it. That is God's grace in our lives. Hebrews chapter, four, uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 says it like this. Let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. When you face trial in your life, you need one another. And Satan's temptation in our day is to try to isolate you, to try to get you away from the body of Christ, to try to get you separated from the people of God so that when he has isolated you, he can discourage you and he can attack your faith, attack your love, and attack your hope that God is your great rescuer. That is Satan's design so much of the time. So oftentimes in the body of Christ, I've seen this happen over and over and over again, that, the, that a member is suffering, that a person is suffering, and the body surrounds them with prayer. The body surrounds them with encouragement. And at the very moment that they were thinking about giving up, that is when they would keep on going. They strengthen each other's faith. They strengthen each other's stick-to-itiveness within the context of the community of believers. Just over the last several months during... Uh, during my lunch hour, <clears throat> I've been going over to the racket club to, uh, to work out. And one of the things I do is I call it, my, my word for it is the death machine. <laughs> but um, <laughs> other people call it the elliptical. <laughs> and so I go and I, I get on the elliptical and I'm like, oh, goodness, this thing is, all, it looks easy. They make it look easy. I've never done it before until recently. And you get on there and you're just going, and you're like, oh my goodness, how long? I must have been going for an hour. And I look down on there in like three minutes, all right? You know? <laughs> and, I, and I think I'm doing good. I'm going along leisurely. I'm like, yeah, I'm sweating. I'm getting a good workout here. And I love going there at lunch. I love going. One thing, it's not super crowded. But, but, I, but I also love going because you just, you just get to see the same people over and over again and start to get to know who people are. But, but recently there's this, been this one lady that always comes up and she always likes to come next to me. And she's like, she's like 30, 20 or 30 years. She's actually 25 years older than I am. And I thought when she come up, oh, I'll help her along. It's okay. 
<laughs> oh my word. <laughs> she gets up there and she goes, <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, I, I can't keep up with you. <laughs> How do I, and, and I'm challenged. I'm like, yeah, okay, I can't let her show me up. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm dying. I'm like, take me to the hot tub. I need help. <laughs> and I come back to the office like, Scott, is nap time, brother. <laughs> we need to insert that into the day. But you know what? Having somebody else there to, to work out with, even though, I, you know, I just, even, though, even though I just matter, and we've been talking a little bit, We've been going, it's, it's just crazy. It's, it's, it's you, somebody else there encourages you to press on, to press forward, to keep after it, to don't give up. It's like when I go hiking or backpacking with, with Todd and, and Scott. They walk faster than I do. <laughs> they have longer legs. That's my explanation. <laughs> and when they're going up the hill, I'm like, oh, goodness, I just, but don't, don't act like it's hard, right? So, like, oh, yeah, I'm keeping up. Yeah. But I'm back, there, I hope they would need a break. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm challenged to go further, to go higher, to press on, even though it's hard, even though it struggles, even though I want to quit, you know, but even though I want to go slow, even in all of that, they challenge me. That's what it is to be in the body of Christ. And you know what? Even that, one time Todd looked back and he said, you know, I just want to encourage you. I, I'm, I'm slowing down for you. <laughs> and I, oh, thank you, brother. I, I appreciate your kind and kindness and care for my soul. <laughs> and even that is an expression of, of grace. But it's like that in the body so oftentimes. We help each other. We encourage one another to press on towards love and good deeds. That's how you grow. You want a church bragging about, a church worth bragging about? Then devote yourself to community. Devote yourself to fellowship. Devote yourself to knowing one another. Devote yourself to knowing one another in the Word. Yes, discussing the Word, discussing what Christ means to you, encouraging one another to press on, praying for one another, knowing one another. In fact, that's what Paul does in verse 4. He brags about this church. He says, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches. It's a church worth bragging about because even though they endure suffering in their community, the way they relate to one another encourages them to go deeper in love, deeper in faith, deeper in their commitment to Jesus. That's what a church is supposed to be. Committed to the word in community, in deep fellowship and relationships with one another, we encourage one another on towards love and good deeds. You need one another. One of the answers to praying, God, help me through this time of suffering, are the people around you. That's whom God has provided in order to encourage you to press on, to not give up. Now, we think about this passage. So Paul has said, I thank God for your love. It's growing, not stagnant. I thank God for your faith that it's growing and not stagnant. Faith Love. There's something else that Paul almost always mentions that he doesn't mention that in this prayer. 
What is missing? Faith and love. What's the one that goes in the middle usually? Hope. Faith, hope, and love. He didn't mention hope. Now, why is that? That is the subject of his prayer for the Thessalonians. As they were enduring suffering in community, encouraging one another on to love, encouraging one another another on to deeper faith, what they were struggling to see in the midst of their trial, in the midst of their pain, they were struggling with hope. They were about to lose hope. As the trial got hot, and as they grow weary, they needed hope. And how does Paul provide hope for them? He provides hope for them by saying, I want to call your attention to the future. I want to call your attention to the future. You see, so often as believers, in the moment of suffering, in the season of suffering, we look at the snapshot of the moment. And we get out our iPhones and we take a picture of the moment. We just take a picture and a snapshot and say, "Uh, this is what life is like. This is what the world is like. And we forget that life is not about a snapshot. Life is really more about a movie. And Paul here is saying, I want you to keep going. I don't want you to just look at the snapshot of the moment. Yeah, it's really difficult. It's really hard. You indeed are suffering. He doesn't gloss over that. But he calls their attention. Remember the movie. Remember the rest of the story. Remember the plot line is not suffering forever. The plot line is is Jesus is coming to rescue. And someday He will rescue you fully from present suffering and also from the wrath to come. Also from the wrath to come. And that brings us to point number two. Point number two, for the unbeliever, present sufferings are a warning and only a taste of the future. So the Apostle Paul turns his attention to the future and how believers can have hope in light of suffering. And then in verse 5, he says that their present sufferings that they are experiencing are evidence of the righteous judgment of God and they are in preparation for His kingdom. Remember what it said in the book of First Peter? He says there that judgment is going to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, then what will happen to the unbeliever? As we face trial in this life, as we face suffering in this life, He is only preparing us for the glory to come. He is refining us so that we will be ready for heaven, for the eternal kingdom of Christ. He's purifying His people, His goals. But when we think about the future of the wicked... When we think about the future of those who do not follow Christ and don't know Christ, the story is radically different. And here in this passage, we have a warning of the future for those who are not in Christ. And what should this do when we talk about hell? When we talk about the wrath to come, it should do two things in our souls. First of all, it should make us who trust in the Lord Jesus extremely grateful that we thank God for His salvation in Christ. And then secondly, it should break our hearts and burden our souls with a prayer like never before for those we know 
and in the world who do, and in our families and our friends who do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord. For unbelievers, the suffering of this world is only a warning and a foretaste of the future. Over the last several decades, and perhaps even longer than that, if you look at church history, it's become unfashionable to preach about hell. Because when you preach on hell, some people say you're mean spirited and old fashioned, and critics will call hell preaching about hell. It's just an attempt to control people with fear. But I would not be faithful to my calling to preach the word of God if I did not point these things out to you. I would not be faithful to Jesus and to his words if I didn't tell you the reality of what is coming apart from Christ. If you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior and King and your treasure. Hell is about God keeping his word. God sends the wicked to hell, shows that he is faithful and just to his word and to his character. He will not let sin into heaven. Otherwise, heaven would become corrupted. It would be a corrupt place if he allowed imperfection there or if he allowed sin there. If God does not enforce the terms he has set, he does not keep his word. Therefore, he is unfaithful. If he doesn't send the wicked to hell, he has not upheld his righteous standard and has not been just. And if there is no hell, we might conclude that the righteous were wrong for having trusted God. God in his word is very clear on this subject. Jesus talked more about hell than any other person in the Bible. You cannot help but read through the Gospels and you read through the Gospels, you see this is a subject that was regularly on the lips of Jesus. He would not be the historical, the biblical Jesus if we erased hell from his teaching, from the word of God. To warn people of the wrath to come is not hateful, it's loving. To warn people of what is coming is not an exercise of hate, It is an exercise of love. The Bible says that there is a tsunami of God's wrath that is going to be poured out on wickedness and the unrighteousness of mankind. And to not warn people about the way to escape is the height of hatred. Notice how Paul describes hell in verses 8 and 9. Look at verse 8. He says, When he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. That is not annihilationism. That is eternal conscious torment away from the presence of the Lord. At that moment when history comes to a close, there will be no more opportunity to reconcile with God. But people in hell will experience only separation from God for all of eternity. The wrath of God forever and ever and ever. We get a glimpse of what that means to be separated from God. When Jesus bore the sins of the whole world by faith, when Jesus hung on that cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus endured that as 
as our substitute, bearing our punishment in our place. But that very cry, my God, my God, why? Is the very cry that will come from hell forever. Think about the vocabulary that the New Testament uses to describe hell. The New Testament describes hell as outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, destruction of body and soul, eternal fire, fire of hell, condemned to hell, forfeiting eternal life, the wrath of God, everlasting destruction away from the presence of the Lord, perishing, separation, blackest darkness. It's not just a New Testament concept, but if you look at the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 66, verses 15 and 16 says this, For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and His chariots like the whirlwind, to render His anger in fury with His rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by His sword with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. That's the book of Isaiah. That's in the Word of God. Who is it that will go to this place of torment? The Bible is very clear who will go there. The Bible says that it's people who persecute believers here in this passage. It's people who do not know God. It's people who do not obey the gospel of God. If you've heard the good news that Jesus saves that Jesus redeems, that Jesus loves you, that Jesus gave himself for you, that Jesus died in your place, and you reject that message, then the Bible says there is no sacrifice for sin left, and you will face the judgment of God. Thomas Brooks, who was a 17th century Puritan, once preached the following. He said this. He said, Oh, but this word, eternity, eternity, eternity. This word, everlasting, everlasting, everlasting. This word, forever, 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 will break the hearts of the condemned in a thousand pieces. Impenitent sinners in hell will, shall have end without end, death without death, night without day, mourning without myrrh, sorrow without solace, bondage without liberty. The condemned shall live as long in hell as God himself shall live in heaven. I plead with you. If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. This is the reality of what is coming. This is the reality of what awaits to those who reject Christ and His gracious work in their lives. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Trust in the one who died on the cross and rose again from the grave. Believe in Him and know His mercy and grace in your life. Now, how does this encourage the believer? This encourages the believer because we recognize that this is what Jesus has saved us from. When you recognize that that was our destiny, 
That is where we were headed, without hope and without God in the world. And Jesus loved, and Jesus intervened, and Jesus rescued, and he changed the storyline. He changed the end. He changed the storyline to go from, we are headed for destruction, we're headed for hell. He says, no, I redeem you, I call you by name, and I give you a very different future. That causes joy in the hearts of believers as we see the rescue of our God. Joyful burden as we rejoice in salvation, but we also are burdened for the lost. And that brings us to point number three. Point three is this. For believers, present sufferings are temporary and they lead to glory. Present suffering for the believer is temporary and they lead to glory. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, yes, we will experience suffering in this life. But indeed, it will not last forever. In fact, relief is on the way. In verse 7, look at verse 7. In verse 7, he says, and he's coming to give relief to those who are afflicted along with us. And this will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels. The only way you need relief is if you're enduring suffering, if you're enduring trial. And when Jesus appears, that is the end of all suffering. That is the end of, out for the believer, that is the end of our trial. That is the end of this sojourning. That is the end of our pain. Praise the Lord. Look at verse 10. It shows us what this relief is like. He says, On that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. He will be glorified in his saints, marveled at, wondered at, amazed at by believers. The good news of the gospel is that this is not all there is. The present suffering, the present pain, the present trial, the present sin, that is going to come to an end. And we need to remember that in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the suffering, that we find hope when we realize it will not always be this way. It's not going to be a forever suffering. Think about this in, 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 in contrast to what Buddhists believe. Buddhists believe that life is simply an infinite series of rebirths and suffering, that life is suffering, and one day you'll just be rescued from suffering, and you'll cease to exist because you become part of the nirvana. You know, that doesn't bring me any hope. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in contrast, is that there is an end to suffering, and it's not just a cease of suffering, but is the commencement of eternal joys that is so good, the Bible can't even get words in the human language to describe how glorious it will be. Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4 says it like this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Romans chapter 8 verses 17 and 18 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. 
What is heaven like? What is eternity like? The Bible says it is like a glorious city, like pure gold and clear glass. It's like nothing we can even, we don't even have physical realities to describe what that is going to be like. There we will have forever access to the river of life, to the tree of life. And the throne of God will occupy the central palace and we will reign with him forever and ever and ever. The Bible says there'll be no sun, but the glory of God will shine so bright, it will brighten everything. It will be the place of unity, holiness, beauty, perfection, and joy. There will be no tears, no sickness, no pain, no getting tired, no death, no, no ellipticals, none of that. <laughs> no wearing out. Mountains to climb. New vistas to see new things to discover. It will not be a boring place. You will have eternal fellowship with the saints. You will be you. I will be me. And yet we will be our glorified selves. Sin will be done away with. Even the desire to sin will be done away with. To where every desire you have all of the time will be a good desire. <laughs> and you could do it. Isn't that, I'm wrong for that, amen? How many of y'all had desires in the last week that you couldn't do all the things that you thought about doing? Amen? <laughs> we all have that. It's called temptation. It's called sin. All of that will be done away with. Get out of your mind the Tom and Jerry heaven. Get out of your mind that. What do I mean by that? Tom dies and he goes up to heaven and he's sitting on a cloud, strumming a heart, bored out of his mind. <laughs> That's not what heaven is like. Well, at least it's better than the alternative. That's not the biblical heaven. The biblical heaven is a city. It's a society. It's a world. It's a universe to explore. It's a new heavens and a new earth. Except perfect forever and ever and ever knowing new joys, new delights, new experiences of God forever, worshiping Him with our gifts, with our talents, who He has created you to be. Who He has created you to be and what He has created you to love. Believers can face suffering today because we know we are being prepared for a kingdom that will last forever and of his reign there will be no end oh my goodness why do how do i know how do i know i can endure the elliptical because there's a timer on that thing amen <laughs> and i know once 45 minutes is gone i'm off of there <laughs> this is kind of like the time we don't know when the time ends for us like that part's been hidden but in the meantime we know that the timer will go off and one day, Christ will return and rescue his people. I want to finish today with a quote from C.S. Lewis, The Last Battle. You've heard this before, but I want to remind you of it. I love the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia. I read them multiple times, read it with my kids. We listened to the audio versions from Focus on the Family. And I just want to share this with you. He ends the Chronicles of Narnia, book number seven, with this. He says, and for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. For their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. And now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story. 
which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and which every chapter is better than the one before. No eye has seen, no heart has imagined, nobody can even think of the glory and the wonder that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, how do you get there? John 14, 6, Jesus says, in response to a similar question, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Let's spend a moment of silence as we think about these things. How might you respond? Are you ready for that day of his appearing? Are you ready for Christ? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Maybe you need to right now trust in Jesus. Just pray to him. Say, I believe. I trust in you. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. Help me to live for you. I don't know what all that means, but I know I need Jesus. Save me, Lord. Maybe you're enduring trial. Maybe you are Christian. You're enduring trial in your life. And you just need to pray, Lord, give me hope. Surround me with community. Help me to endure in light of the end. Help me with a family. Help me, to, help me to grow in friendships. Maybe you need to pray, Lord, send me to somebody who needs encouragement, who needs strength. How can I help someone going through suffering? Or maybe you need to pray for somebody you know who doesn't know Christ. Let's spend a moment of silence as you do business with God and we'll respond together.